for me, my color is very expressive and emotional. So I'm, I am interested in the way that shapes that are colored and colors in general can, for me, have an emotional kind of cathartic sort of experience, but then also the way that it triggers a certain emotion for a viewer. So on one level, when you make a painting as the artist, you are also the viewer because you're kind of having to deal with what you've just done. Welcome to the Student Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 152nd episode, Max Manning joins me to talk about painting, and you'll want to visit his website, maxmanningart.com, so you can peruse before listening to the interview. He also has an exhibition up right now with Jessica Samorte and Peter Shearer called More or Less. It's on view at Front Space in Kansas City through the end of the month. If you're by chance listening to Studio Break for the first time, I just want to let you know Studio Break is a blog and podcast. We feature a variety of different artists that come on and share insight into their studio practice. You can access our archives on the homepage. Just go to the left sidebar and scroll back through time to check out the podcast that you've missed. You can also link to the iTunes store, subscribe there, and again, peruse all the podcasts that you missed. We've got a lot of them, so please check them all out. Of course, we are available or at least interacting on a number of social media fronts, so please like our Facebook page. You can get updates of new podcasts and opportunities there. We're also on Tumblr, that's studio-break.tumblr. And, of course, you can tweet us at Studio Break, so please say hello. Other than that, we are ready to go. So here is our interview with Max Manning. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break, Max Manning. How are you this morning? I'm great, David. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm a big fan of the podcast, and I'm really excited to to be here. Cool. And uh, just let everyone know, uh, where where are you located right now? Uh, Jess and I just moved to uh, Huntsville, Texas. She accepted a position here uh, at the university, so we just moved. But we did move from Kansas City, and we spent uh, a year there after being in Cincinnati, Ohio. And is that where you're originally from? Or you, are you're a Midwesterner, I believe, is what we were kind of talking about a little bit before this officially began. Yeah, I am. Uh, I'm definitely a Midwesterner. Uh, I'm from Midwest Ohio, actually. So I'm from a small town called St. Mary's, Ohio. It's pretty much right in the middle of the state. Uh, there's a big man-made lake there. I think it's the, maybe one of the largest man-made lakes in the country still. It's, I think, the largest... Uh, hand dug lake because it actually dug with shovels that's pretty that's pretty righteous right yeah yeah definitely did you kind of grow up in a, a, a kind of more rural environment more suburban kind of environment or the community that i grew up in was definitely a rural community uh, a lot of farming and everything like that i grew up in a family business and it was actually a marina so it was on the water a marina and a bait shop so, you know, I started working when I was like 12 or something like that in the family business. I was like pumping gas and working for tips and, you know, weed whacking, stuff like that. And then so I spent a lot of time 
on the water. And that's certainly sticks with me with me today, even in the studio. I think there is some relation, even even if the work does get to some place that seems kind of formal, even there's kind of a connection maybe to the water and the movement and the color and and things like that. But I've you know really fond memories of all of those experiences. Were you a big outdoors kind of person then, in in, in terms of just kind of where you grew up? Uh, yes and no. I'm not. I didn't really get into fishing a whole lot outside of it being part of the business. I didn't do a lot of it by myself, but I did. You know, play like sports outside and like backyard football type stuff. And uh, I did always enjoy actually going out onto the water. But, I, you know, I never really did a whole lot of camping or anything like that necessarily. Maybe somewhat like family camping trips or whatever it is, things like that. But not it's not like a major thing that I think about in terms of, uh, you know, the narrative of the narrative that has been my life to this point, you know. Mm-hmm. It's mainly, I think, just great to, like, live on the lake and to kind of drive by it every day or go on like a run and it's just like all around it's kind of a beautiful landscape to be walking around in in general i'm curious then did you did you wind up having like a lot of experiences making art and drawing and making stuff when you were kind of younger or is that something that kind of came i don't know elsewhere or what yeah i mean i think like a lot of artists i drew i've been drawing as kind of as long as i can remember in terms of what I drew, I think typically when I was younger, like really young, I probably drew more like car- cartoons, like Disney characters, and I drew the uh, the movie boxes from my favorite movies, like Peter Pan and uh, I don't know what else, The Jungle Book or something like that. <laughs> like I drew drew all the cartoons a lot. I really loved drawing cartoons, and I I think actually maybe ironically, I wanted to be a cartoonist. When I was really young, now that I, I remember that, I kind of forgot all about that. But And I did do some illustration. Like I had a comic book for a while when I was in high school. Well, not a comic book, a uh, comic strip in a local paper. And that was kind of a cool, cool experience to do a weekly comic strip. But I think the the lake itself, like the landscape and the seascape, I guess, well, lakescape, made its way into my work maybe when I was a little bit older. Like I would kind of uh, go out and do some plein air type drawing and painting on occasion. And then it would kind of, I think especially in like 2011, mm-hmm. I kept a studio after undergraduate school. In between, under, in between undergrad and grad school, I had a studio in the attic of our bait shop. Mm-hmm. And I would paint at night after work. And... You know, I'm I'm a sponge as a person in general. So, like, the, since that was my environment, being on the water and in the lake, and especially given that for a while I was doing that for my day job, working for the marina, that definitely had to have made its way into the paintings. And since I knew that it would happen kind of on a subconscious level, I tried to adopt it on a pretty conscious level in my the way I was thinking about the paintings and the way they got made and everything like that. And I definitely know that it, it made its way in there on the 2011, some of the paintings for sure. Did you kind of know then that you wanted to, to be an artist? I mean, you talked a little bit about maybe wanting to do, to be a cartoonist when you're younger, obviously maybe something changed there, but, um, 
I would imagine you took a lot of classes in high school and that and, and maybe kind of went to college. I mean, did you know at the time, like you're going to college for fine art, you're going to be a cartoonist or did something change there when you, when you got there? Or? Um, I always knew that I loved painting pretty early. Well, maybe not always, but pretty early on when I, I don't know when the first time I actually painted something would have been maybe in elementary school, even I really connected with, something about it and at the time probably the first time I painted it would have been like egg tempera paint on paper Mm -hmm. you know with a terrible brush or something like that but I really connected with it I remember certain assignments even like I drew this weird sun in sixth grade and I loved it and um there was a kind of an immediate connection there and I think probably in high school maybe is when I started to get into art history like my art teacher gave me an art history book to borrow and uh remember just really pouring over those pages and like thinking really hard and trying to digest what I was seeing you know I had kind of like a lot of the classical responses to modern like a lot of the modern stuff you know I was really interested in Dolly when I was in high school and then I had to really think hard about Jackson Pollock's drip paintings and things like that, you know, the early exposure. And I think that's probably that experience is probably when something changed. And then I went into undergrad. Uh, I think my initial major was drawing and painting, but I did kind of veer off and do a lot of animation Mm -hmm. coursework in my early years. But then I ended up, changing back into painting and drawing. And that's kind of what I finished my program doing. So it was a little bit of a journey. I changed my major, like, <laughs> I think like six or seven times in undergrad school. It was like, <laughs> it was really uh, easy. Cause you could just walk into the fine art office and like fill out a form. And I think the, the women in the office were like kind of getting sick of me. Like, <laughs> do, do you want to think about it a little bit this time? <laughs> okay. But yeah, you know, I kind of bounced around and I also knew at the time, like it was probably pretty important for me to become more computer literate, even if I do, uh, did do the drawing and painting, which is what I landed on. But, uh, I learned a lot of skills in the computer that i still consider val- valuable for me just to have those in my back pocket, even if they don't like directly make it into like my my paintings like there's nothing digitally printed about them now but there's something important there i think what what kind of paintings and, and drawings were you making at the time was it obviously i think most people kind of uh work through those you know tedious sessions where they're doing you know uh, weeks of value drawing and and stuff like that um but was it was it representational were you kind of interested in i don't know exploring representational kind of painting before you got to abstraction yeah. If you can, how how did that, I guess, how did that process kind of unfold in undergraduate or did it come through like a number of years or? It did. It took me maybe not a long time in the grand scheme of things to get to something more fully abstract. But in, uh, in undergrad, I did, you know, I did the kind of figure painting classes and a lot of life drawing and, uh, I really value those skills that I learned and everything doing all of that. But what I kind of finished my thesis with was, I guess you'd call them figurative abstractions or maybe even 
kind of like surreal figurative abstractions. Mm-hmm. They were they were blatantly figurative. I was kind of investigating the process of the abstraction itself. So so really they were on the kind of polarity between representation and something that's kind of non-objective. They were closer to the representational side because you could see like a, you know, a head and there were shadows that and there were things that had shadows um, that were kind of grounded. But I was kind of investigating portraiture and abstraction and figuration all at the same time. And they were like really kind of weird paintings and kind of funny to think about. And then it took me a long time to kind of fully unravel and see what this investigation to see where it led. And the thing that I realized primarily was that abstraction was uh, better suited for my interests in painting. Um, At least it seems still to this day that that's the case. And I think a big part of what I was interested in then and still am is uh, the different languages or, you know, maybe you could call it style, but kind of the different languages painting can take on, uh, whether it be something really painterly, gestural, something tighter, more geometric. I'm still interested in whether how to kind of combine the gestural, the geometric, the hard edge, all of those sorts of things that painting can can kind of look different and what it means to combine them all in one image, I guess. So it's been kind of a long road to investigating a similar kind of thing with what painting can do. Well, and I think one thing that's interesting, and we talked about this too, you've got tons and tons of work on, on your site. So again, I, I hope everybody uh, makes sure to kind of visit maxmanningart.com. Yeah. But we have an example of this uh, in your in your eldest work, right, um, on your uh-huh. website. So it's kind of interesting again to kind of see where those those ideas that you're talking about um, really kind of start to kind of start, and then I guess where they wind up. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is interesting too with that kind of older body work um, on your site is it occurs to me how like spatial some of these paintings are, uh-huh. and maybe just the the scale and the the kind of figure ground relationship, um, you know, certainly shifts as, as we're kind of like moving closer and closer in years. But that's something that's very interesting to me because I think there's still a lot of interest in terms of like layering and and, uh-huh. and thinking about that. But were th- was there anything in particular at the time that you kind of set about to kind of make some of these paintings that are, again, very colorful, a, a bit larger in scale? They're uh-huh. you know, maybe midsize, uh, four feet, you know, stuff like that. But what kind of things were you interested in? Uh, from uh, this body of work that you wrapped up with. Or, again, these are all like 2011 paintings. or Yeah, yeah. 2011, um, that was kind of right after I took the big shift into going full, fully abstract, I guess you would say. Although, you know, again, with the idea of them being abstract and not non-objective, they are still, I do still think of the shapes as being figures in landscapes maybe not particular landscapes but in a sense of the the painting itself as kind of a world that the shape exists in it's like it's the shape's environment so to speak those were coming right out of the body of work that was a little bit more blatantly figurative which uh the the figurative figure ones i don't necessarily have on the site but there are a few that were pretty figurative if i can remember what's on there Um, But the 2011 paintings, I think I shifted in an effort to 
shift more into abstraction, I decided to kind of zoom out my lens, so to speak. So I was thinking of those more as landscapes than uh, close-ups of figures. And I was combining, I think, abstract expressionism, and I was interested in some of the, those ideas. So like what the way that a gesture can kind of transmit feeling into an image. I was kind of remixing that concept quite a bit and then combining it with this sort of personal narrative of all of the stuff we were just kind of talking about with the lake is in there. And I was thinking a lot about uh, personal personal narrative and the way that that can kind of carry over in a feeling kind of way through through the brushwork and the combination of imagery. Um, and I was also starting to think a lot about, I guess you could say digital digitization, but maybe not necessarily um, in an aesthetic way, but more so in the way that it has impacted our brain function as uh, people, sort of digital revolution, essentially dealing with the flood of information that can occur and I guess I'm still interested in the uh, the impact that it's had on humanity in itself. And I think that's those paintings in 2011 were the first um, first attempts at making sense of all that with a painted image. If that makes sense. Well, it seems like if anybody's doing any any kind of artwork like that, um, there's got to be some kind of reaction to that, you know, because it's a yeah. it's like a physical thing. It's something that you're you know, making and kind of exploring in these different bodies of work. And and so, again, you kind of talked about earlier, um, you know, some of these paintings, like the ones we were just kind of describing were maybe the ones that you're doing after work, um, after, after, after finishing a long day's work. Yeah. How did, I guess, how did that change um, in terms of like deciding to go to graduate school and, and how did that, how did that affect the work? It's funny because for me, Things that I guess practical things tend to change what happens in a, the more intellectual things that occur in making art. Uh, practical things tend to change those for me. Mm-hmm. So whenever I feel, maybe if I feel like a change needs to occur or see that it is happening organically, changing a space, changing the materials that I'm working with pretty basic stuff like that really kind of ends up being a way for me to shift the body of work for whatever reason I think that that needs to happen, I guess is sort of what starts to happen. So for instance, in between 2011 and 2012, I'm kind of looking at my site right now, seeing what was going <laughs> on. Um, I, I changed studios. So I changed from the bait shop attic studio to my first uh university of cincinnati graduate studio studio and uh i kind of rolled into cincinnati um moved into my house that i was renting i had a couple roommates and i got into the studio like the day after because i was just like you know i nobody likes to move and it wasn't really that bad of a move it was like only two hours away so pretty much just got into the studio as fast as i possibly could and i got some arches 22 by 30 uh, watercolor paper, some nice heavy duty watercolor paper. I got a few pieces of that, unpacked my paints and like just, I just grabbed an old picture frame to use as my palette and I just kind of got to work. And that started the, uh, the shift is that I basically kind of 
instead of working on bigger canvases, I started working on smaller paper. And that was kind of my strategy to just get things rolling right away by just making the work. And um, anytime there's kind of a significant shift in bodies of work, you know, as I've been going at it over the years, it's usually kind of a material or changing in the materials or changing the um, studio space that impacts the work. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's really interesting about, you know, this, this period too, is just all the, the layering, you know, becomes much more physical, Yeah, you know, in terms of all the paper. And again, it's, it's interesting when you kind of include those, those shots where it's like kind of like three quarters and you're, you know, seeing that just the way that it's lit, you know, you've got variations in some of the shadows and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I guess in in the studio of Max, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of describe like this. Are, are, I mean, are there so are there kind of like rules that you're consciously setting up, or is that kind of come from just making these works and and just being in there um, mm-hmm. and just kind of mixing it up? I think a lot of times the rules get made up as I go. Mm-hmm. To be honest, you know, I think the rules happen somewhere in between. You know, what's happening while I'm actually painting on these things, and then when I step back and have this moment of analyzing what I had just done, analyzing what I'm doing, kind of talking to myself in the studio as I'm stepping back and kind of analyzing and contextualizing and all these things. And and that's the way that looking at all the abstract expressionists and uh, what they brought and contributed to to painting and to art history that's something an element that's kind of stuck for me is this element of um improvisation and you know automatism which comes out of surrealism which i studied a lot in undergrad so that's that's kind of something that's stuck and to this day you know i guess memory starts to play in when you are improvising these things like still there's there is an element of planning in improvisation when you do something enough. Mm -hmm. Even now the paintings kind of seem to just happen, even though I'm working really hard to make them happen. I don't tend to draw things out, I guess is I don't do sketches or things like that. There is a lot of improvisation and. Well, and I would imagine that you have like a a bunch of stuff, you know, tacked up on the walls and, you know, you're kind of moving between different um, pieces and maybe making kind of small adjustments, moving on to something else. Is that that kind of also something that feeds that that experimentation a bit? Yeah, absolutely. Um, They kind of, uh, you know, I'll work on one thing for a while and I'll put it away. And I like to get a lot of different works going at the same time so you know in 2012 it was a lot of these paper pieces like the first one of the first things I did was I made this big piece of a big painting on paper essentially and then I just cut it up and then I had all these fragments so the idea there was kind of that I had a big thought and I dissected the big thought into little thoughts and then I had them kind of floating around the studio and I did that a few times and then I have all these scraps so at that time, really, I was thinking of my studio as a big, uh, it, the studio itself was, was a painting or really a collage, I guess, because it was a lot to do with collage at the time. So I was thinking of the studio itself as a big collage. And then I kind of was like going through this inventory that I had created for myself to kind of make sense of and put things together. So again, it was that idea of combinations and 
the way to kind of make sense of chaos. What kind of entices you to kind of want to explore like a, a new material? If Is it something where you're literally, you just got something lying around where you're like, I don't know if this is going to work. And then you try it and see, or is it something that's more, more planned out or some, I'm just curious because I think, again, there's so many interesting things that you wind up incorporating uh, in, into some of these paintings. Um, yes. I think to be honest, it isn't, there is some element of it being an ob of like a found object kind of idea or something that is in the studio. Um, but looking back again to 2012, I do remember at one point I kind of like declared, <laughs> I don't know to who, to, to like who I declared it to, but, um, I wasn't going to work on canvas for a year. So when I, you know, moved into the studio in Cincinnati, how to make a painting without canvas. Well, it's not really that, that crazy of a thought. Really, you can make paintings on paper, but I wanted to get a little bit more, you know, interesting with the material, essentially. Uh, not that canvas is not an interesting material because I'm still very interested in it, but, but yeah, finding things around the studio and uh, even going on walks and just finding random things out in the world, even if it's not an object that makes it into the painting, um, it could be something that I emulate in a sense or kind of mimic a little bit with the painting. And that's, that's a way for me that representation still, um, still is very much involved in the paintings because, um, you can reduce a lot and still be referring to an object in the world if it's, even if it's not directly, but, but yeah, back to your original question a little bit more. I do remember, you know, for instance, in 2013, I made like these, I was making a lot of these paintings on um, with plexiglass, so these big acrylic sheets, and that started. That did start because I I happened to find a piece of plexiglass somewhere. I don't know where or why I had it, but it started with me finding this plexiglass, and then I think I found there's one painting that I found a bouncy ball in my studio, and it was this great pink color. And I had the, that combination of materials, and then I found one of my scrap pieces that I had made and cut up, and I collaged, I collaged the uh, paper bit onto the back of the plexiglass, and then I made, I think I screwed it directly into the wall, and then I painted on it, and then, then I painted on the wall, like I painted an outline, and then the outline ended up becoming a panel that I made that was shaped to mimic what had been painted on the wall. So that was coming out of those early paintings in Cincinnati where I was, uh, it was very much about reacting to the material and, uh, kind of analyzing, I guess, just the idea of making a painting in and of itself. So process was very important to me at that time. But as you kind of like finished up graduate school, did you kind of like feel like you were empowered to kind of keep, I don't know, exploring the way that you, that you wanted to explore that you're kind of like, again, you know, you're the one that's deciding what you are focusing on in the studio and, and abstraction can be this kind of like lifelong endeavor. It is uh, certainly a question that I've given myself that I have not figured out still. And that's something that I realized at some point is important for a search. If you want it to have some longevity is that the question that you're asking needs to be difficult and something that's going to take a long time to figure out in a sense. And I think that's part of, you know, these mutations that my work takes is 
me asking questions to myself. And they really may be the same questions over and over and over again, but the physical result changes up a little bit because I'm kind of trying to approach the same question from a different angle or something like that. And the whole idea of abstraction that that the part of the beauty of it for me is that it can be a lot of different things. It can be adjacent to, to, uh, you know, say figurative painting abstraction can kind of be figurative. It can kind of be a landscape. And I think, especially at the work I've made in the last year or so, I've been thinking a lot about those, those broad concepts that you say, like you have a portrait or a landscape well, I'm kind of thinking like maybe a painting, the painting itself could be the figure and that figure could be a landscape. So kind of ideas like that that are like the idea in, a, in and of itself is pretty abstract. So like how do you depict that? And abstraction is a good good answer to kind of depicting things that are abstract in and of themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, it gives it gives you so many avenues for exploring. Sure. And and I think again, that's one of the things that becomes really interesting. Just kind of looking at, you know, how how the work kind of progresses. Because in some instances, it seems like, you know, like you had said earlier, it might be kind of like a looser, kind of more gestural, versus um, you know, more hard edge, kind of geometric. So it's interesting to see the way that that will kind of shift in the work, or you know, you start kind of setting up these kind of like um, almost kind of like Rothko, kind of like. Um, rectangles or kind of like square formats and then you see the way that that will get changed up into like a you know a very loose kind of like snake type form and yeah Rothko has been very important to me over the years I, I guess actually just to kind of bring that up I mean who so what what artists um, do you kind of really respond to uh, in terms of uh, painting and oh man so really so many I'm you know probably an obvious thing to say but i'm a huge painting nerd uh there are so many people working that i really respect somebody um for me in the past maybe year to two years that has been really important is uh andrew masulo uh he his work is um non-objective and he's very adamant about that but i think things that i love about that work is um the the size the physical size and how that relates to the scale of the of the work as you can see from my website I tend to work in a pretty small physical size now and that's something that took me a long time to get to um, a long time of making work to realizing that I f- I feel at least that my work translates itself in a small kind of uh, intimate not that I think that small is directly intimate or intimate needs to be small, but an intimate scale. And I get to that through the, the small size of the paintings. And part of the instinct there for me is, uh, something poetic. And that's what, what I think I really respond to about Andrew Masula's work is that it is extremely poetic. And, um, I love the, the work ethic that is apparent in the work and the way that he talks about it, it's kind of matter of fact, like I just, I go into the studio and I make these paintings and I do the best job that I can. And it's, it's about the paintings. It's not about me. I really respond to ideas like that. And a lot of contemporary painters that I really like also Thomas Noskowski, I think I get a similar vibe from him a lot of times hearing him talk about his paintings and then also looking at them there's this tremendous sense of 
uh, commitment, not only of time, but just thought. And um, when you're involved with the contemporary art world, there's so much that you can do. And to choose to commit yourself to making these paintings, and both of them make, in the grand scheme of things, smaller paintings, um, it seems like a pretty bold thing to do in and of things and to kind of uh, show up with this small thing and put it on the wall and kind of do it that way. Um, but other people now that I really love, also Raul de Kaiser and Toma Apps, abstraction or non-objective work is really what I'm interested in right now, I think. But there are all the the people like Rothko and uh, uh, I really love Bryce Martin's work, people who have kind of continued the modernist legacy in that regard. I really, really love all of that work. And early on for me, I loved surrealism a lot too, especially Miro. He was, he was an early favorite. And um, I looked a lot at Picasso and, and uh, Cubism and Brack and all of the, all of the classics really, um, especially in modernism. In a lot of ways, I still think of my work as uh, in kind of a research regard. I think of my work as analyzing modernist painting as a whole. And I kind of, um, think of my work interjecting itself on a timeline, sort of, so to speak, combining different elements from different movements, maybe in the same painting or throughout the course of a whole group of paintings, like say in an exhibition, um, you get kind of vibes of different art history movements from a painting. And I like the idea of, um, combining different movements and this kind of uh, non-linear timeline that you can kind of construct with a body of work. I realized that was a long answer to a simple question. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's perfect. And you bring up an interesting idea with that idea of scale. I mean, eight by 10 is, you know, roughly the size of your hand almost, right? Yeah. And so marks and layering and all those kind of formal qualities become... I don't know, very particular in, in a way, and it's not so much about that action, right? Uh-huh. Um, but I guess one thing that we haven't talked about in relationship to your work either is the color decisions and, and color choices. Is Are there things that influence that outside of the studio? Um, how do you how do you make room for that in your work? How does it, how does it fit into your process? Yeah. Things like cereal boxes and um, graphic design that you see at the grocery store or shampoo bottles, things like that that we encounter on a daily basis, things that I uh, lump into a broader spectrum of like the plastic, things that are mass produced, kind of uh, not to knock the people who make the graphic design for that, but like junk imagery that just kind of floods floods our daily existence and we're kind of um, not even maybe necessarily paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, so ironically... Maybe my bright color is on some level my own reflection of like kind of a more mundane kind of existence. But also there's that, but in recontextualizing it into something that's kind of more like fine art. For me, my color is very expressive and emotional. So I'm, I am interested in the way that shapes that are colored and colors in general can, for me, have an emotional kind of cathartic sort of experience, but then also the way that it triggers a certain emotion for a viewer. So on one level, when you make a painting, 
as the artist, you are also the viewer because you're kind of having to deal with what you've just done. So there is that element, like you said, the one, you know, like maybe you see a shape that's kind of like a fragment from another painting. There is the, I do have that relationship to my own work where I'm, um, in some ways like a viewer and I try to like step back a little bit and see what the paintings themselves can do because at a certain point they do, they do talk back, you know, in a lot of ways I think of them as being their own little, their own little beings, you know, their own little souls and the way that the, not only the physical thing that is the painting, but the, the images that happen on them, they start to kind of direct themselves and they communicate with each other and, um, they kind of come up in groups, like they grow up together and sort sort of things like that. And, you know, like one of the newer paintings I had just finished, um, it's called White Shape, I think, Untitled White Shape. You know, I worked on that for like a year and it's a 16 by 20 painting. So it had a lot of different uh, different forms and it's interesting for me to see see the way that these things grow up, I guess, you, you know, because you, you see them through from uh, <laughs> from like the first stretched canvas and they're like a little baby and then they become this other thing that's totally different so i'm really interested in and part of that you know is the whole element of being improvisational in the way that i work it's decision making on top of decision making and then you get these layers and things like that but over time i've kind of developed a bag of tricks that i use for for different uh instances and in a lot of ways it's like kind of puzzle doing a puzzle or problem solving or, you know, whatever, however you want to think about it. Are, are they really kind of like phys- physically kind of like layered up and layered up and, and then there's some editing and then, you know, maybe like a new shape is added or, you know, something's painted out or. Yeah, absolutely. With the newer paintings that are on canvas, I am working on raw canvas and uh, kind of working with the, the texture, even though they're, they're pretty flat. If you see them in person, you can kind of maybe tell a little bit more, but the painting, the paint will be kind of layered a little bit more thick. And these are a little bit more slow in a way, uh, because I am working with that. I need to kind of be cautious of the way that the surface builds up because over time something seems to get lost if the texture gets too built up for me. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes I'll stretch canvas over top if that happens. But, but there is this kind of a little bit more slow process where I am like taping things off a little bit more now and um, building up the paint in some areas. You know, like I might do start with an idea of uh, some some squares, and then I'll build up the squares, and then I'll have squares on top of a ground that is raw canvas. And then I had another idea already planned out where I was going to kind of um, block out this one area and there's this really great thing that happens with raw canvas where you can kind of like paint it in one color and then the surface quality really is kind of dramatic so you see still see those squares in a really big way i'm playing a lot with the kind of surface uh tension that can kind of happen on the raw canvas but yeah there's there's a real interest with like um kind of these soft kind of layers and then these kind of hard layers or uh-huh. Looking at like a, a, a untitled uh, kind of current painting, again hard to describe. I guess. Yeah. yeah <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a lot of them. Um, but again, there's some like real flat shapes. But then also like the color is really kind of soft, but it has like a nice range in terms of, um, 
I don't know, just making all sorts of kind of like little shifts and, and, and that is, is that something that becomes like a, a process that you will spend a lot of time like looking at, at, at a painting before you decide, you know, how you might have to kind of adjust the surface or, you know, if you're going to paint a, a big, you know, bright color over the top of it. A lot of these smaller ones, um, and again, it relates back to to the idea of, you know, mood or the emotionality that you attach to color. And obviously, that's a subjective thing from my perspective, but more kind of uh, sophisticated colors. Uh, you know, I guess that's something that I'm interested in is the uh, connotative quality of color. So like gray, for instance, or kind of a grayer tone is maybe seen as a little bit more sophisticated than like a lime green or something, so to speak, pretty, pretty broadly, I guess we're talking here, but, um, but combining those kinds of things, I guess. And, um, really like a painting's mood for me can kind of, uh, happen really early on in the stage of the painting, or it can be something that's developed, developed later. But I like building up this sort of dual identity that they all have you know some of them are a little bit more uh eccentric or the color is a little bit more like like poppy or kind of um pop culture colory or something and then others the color is going to be a little bit more of a sophisticated um learned art historical context sort of so to speak so so the, I guess really back to the original question, it's the um, the idea of mood and the identity that the paintings sort of have. And some of them start looking kind of really uh, garish and then they end up being a little bit more sophisticated. So I guess it's all part of the investigation and the journey, so to speak. So, Well, and it seems like some of that's kind of about throwing yourself in the deep end with a painting too, right? I mean, you might, oh, yeah. you might just kind of like, oh, I want to paint this super intense uh you know orange shape on here and 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 then it's kind of like a reaction to that or trying to figure how that's going to play in yeah absolutely absolutely i guess when you're not looking at uh when you are painting and you don't have well it's not that i don't have things that i'm looking at but um when you're not directly depicting something there is that element of there a color can be put down that isn't referring directly to something else. So it's like just saying something rather than having, uh, like if you're writing a paper, instead of uh, using a reference to kind of expand on your point, you can just make your point and you don't necessarily have to, you know, be like, it's right because it's right there. We can go see it or whatever, or I can see it. But Mm -hmm. then maybe some other things, elements of the paintings themselves are um, expanding on that point. So, for instance, if there is kind of a really intense orange or something like that in the center of a painting, maybe uh, some like a little bit more neutral sort of colors come into kind of echo throughout the rest of the image so that it's not stark in a sense. Or maybe I want some starkness in the painting and uh, there's some intense color contrast happening or, you know, it really kind of depends what, um, and again, this relates back to the kind of uh, the general mood that I'm, that I'm after with the painting or that I think it's, it's putting off is the way that, uh, kind of I'm dealing with what I'm seeing and those sorts of things. Yeah. And again, it's just so interesting to see the the range. I mean, again, I mean, I, I don't know if you've actually counted, but 
There's got to be like 200 pings on here, right? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it would lend itself very well then to kind of being able to, you know, really explore that uh, given whatever whatever's going on that day or whatever seems interesting. You know, maybe you've done uh, three pastel paintings and then you're like, I would need to change this up and do something else. So, Yeah. Like, you know, I just had the show at uh, NM, Sp- NM Space in California and uh, they're great people to work with, and I'm very proud to um, have the, re- the relationship with that gallery that I have. Um, I just had a show there, and the title that I landed on for the show was uh, "In Tongues," and that gets back to a lot of the things that you know that I've kind of already we've already talked about a little bit with these paintings. But again, just that idea of combinations and uh, and mood, and I really like the idea of someone being in an exhibition and looking at the work as a group, but also looking at individual works and kind of never knowing what, what they're supposed to be feeling or thinking about the work. Mm -hmm. And, uh, there's, I think kind of on us, an immediate level with my work, people tend to think like it's, it's funny. And I have no qualms with that (laughs) because I, obviously I'm leaning into that a great deal. You know, they are quirky and, um, and weird. And I revel in that and so again, you you were just talking about um, this exhibition. Um, what uh-huh. what other stuff is going on? Um, you know, you've been talking about how you like kind of showing these in groupings and thinking about the way that people kind of um, bring their own ideas. But at the same time, I don't know. It's always kind of weird for every artist. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. what, what's so? What else is going on? Do you have uh, kind of shows lined up? Things that you're working on and and all sorts of things going? Oh, well, the show in uh, at NM Space did just come down recently. Um, and you know, that was a great experience for me, but I also have a show open right now in uh, Kansas city, Missouri at front space gallery in the crossroads district. Um, and that's a three person exhibition with, uh, myself, Jessica Samorte and Peter Shear. I am tremendously excited to be included in the show. And we put this proposal together a while back and it's really been really great to see it all come together. The show is titled more or less, and, um, we've kind of grouped ourselves in and we share a, uh, kind of a, you know, we talked a little bit about size, the size of the paintings earlier, but, um, that's kind of a theme that's carried throughout the show in, um, Kansas city is that we all work on a more, I guess you'd say modest scale and, you know, it's been really great to see the exhibition come together and we couldn't make it for the opening, but, uh, the install images look great. And I think that the, the art community there in Kansas city responded well to it. And it's been a really great experience to see it all come together. Yeah. And it's, it's very cool to, you know, think about your work, uh, with, you know, two other great painters, you know, and we've had, Jessica and Peter on Studio Break. So again, it's been interesting to kind of hear where the similarities lie, and and I think especially that format is really interesting. That small eight by ten format again allows you to kind of maybe burn through a lot of uh, different ideas. Um, so maybe it just lends itself to getting a lot more work done. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I came to making smaller paintings in my last year of school in Cincinnati. Well, maybe not my last year, but in Cincinnati anyway, it was kind of the conclusion that I reached for maybe the format that my work is best suited in that I can work through a lot of ideas. And since a lot of the ideas that I'm kind of sourcing to make these paintings are pretty complex in a sense, um, being able to work through and present multiple ideas to form bigger ideas 
in a way, like the bigger idea being the exhibition, the smaller ideas being the paintings and how they function in relationship to the whole. That's something that has maybe not changed my practice, but been, um, been the answer that I was looking for for a long time. So like the way the installation overall works together and the way the paintings communicate with one another, essentially it's, it's that kind of idea. Um, and that's kind of why, why I started to work smaller. And a lot of times I'll kind of land on this, this, um, unified format, like say an eight by 10 painting or a 10 by eight painting. Um, and I'll make a lot. And it's kind of this idea that they're all like a big grouping or, you know, like we all have the same phones more or less, like they're mass produced, but they're all super customized. It's kind of like that almost, you know, um, it's kind of a funny metaphor, but, um, but it's sort of something like that, you know, the, and then more serious kind of things happen within the world of the, of the canvas. Well, and so I guess as we kind of wrap up this, uh, interview, is there anything that people should know about, um, things coming up or, new work that you're excited about that we haven't really covered or anything? Um, I'm excited that you asked that. Um, there is kind of another shift happening and it's, it's funny for me. Um, all the work that we have been talking about, it's been great to kind of go down memory lane in a sense. Um, not that, that it's not all with me in the studio now, but, uh, but I have kind of shifted again over the, since maybe not directly after I shipped out the work for the show in California, but, I'm carrying a lot of the ideas from in tongues over into this new work, but it has changed again in that I'm um, developing this body of paperwork that I've been working on or maybe started in like 2011 or 12. And they've been kind of kicking around the studio and not much of it, if any, is on the website. Uh, and I'm kind of getting it closer to a place where I feel that I can put it out into the world soon even though I think I sent a couple of them over to you for the images that for the podcast, um, cause I knew I wanted to talk about it, but essentially it's a lot of the same ideas, but the form, the physical form of the paintings has changed in that one. They're on paper, but also I'm kind of getting back into this idea of, uh, you know, the shape of the painting. So I'm kind of able to cut into them and shape them a little bit. And, um, I've been looking a lot at, uh, Matisse's cutouts, and uh, they're kind of these paperworks. And I think, I don't know for sure, because I don't have you know anything lined up in terms of an exhibition, but the way that I'm presenting them in my studio right now is having them taped directly to the wall so that uh, you know the shape of the painting kind of interacts with the wall. And, uh, and then they start to kind of interact with one another on the wall, and they're kind of hung really close together. That's something that I'm developing right now and I'm really excited about. And uh, just now starting to kind of put together proposals to get them out into uh into the world and find a space to show them so uh i guess while i ha- have the uh, soapbox if there are any <laughs> galleries out there that need some uh paperwork then uh com. you can uh, contact me there <laughs> right on and and i, I guess just cuz uh artists kind of have all sorts of different social media stuff it sounded like earlier you're a you're a big uh, Instagram uh, uh, individual, so should people check out your stuff there as well? Yeah, um, I think so. I, I think the whole thing is really fun. For me, Instagram is uh, is in a lot of ways an extension of the studio that's a little bit less formal than putting things on the website. So 
for me, Instagram, my Instagram feed is not necessarily finished work. It's just images of paintings at that time. So sure. uh, I don't know if that's misleading because I didn't really contextualize it thusly on Instagram, but that's also partially because um, for me, like I'll finish a painting or think I finish a painting and then I let it sit for a little bit and then I realize it needs to it needs to change for some reason or for one reason or another. But my Instagram feed, like it a lot of times has that immediacy of like a you know, you're excited about a painting in the stage that it is and I'll just post it and um I really enjoy that about Instagram. And also it's a great way for me to kind of at least feel a little bit like I'm in touch with what's happening in other big um, art hub cities like New York and, you know, LA or whatever it is, um, Chicago, things like that. But just a way to see a lot of great exhibitions that I can't be there to see in person. Again, I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, it's been, been great talking about your paintings. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, David. I'm a, again, I'm a huge fan of studio break and it's, it's been great to be on. Thanks once again to Max for joining me. Please check out his website, maxmanningart.com, and you can also see his paintings at the show more or less. It runs through October, and it's at Front Space in Kansas City, along with fellow painters Jessica Samorte, who was featured on episode 142, and Peter Shearer, who was featured way back at episode 76. Again, really interesting painters, so please check them out, and of course, visit Max Manning's instagram page for all the uh, fresh stuff going on in the studio follow them there of course we'd love it if you checked out some of the other podcasts as well you can easily access them on the studio break archive page again that's on the left sidebar you can scroll month by month and see all the podcasts that you miss again each of those have images of the artist's work and links to their websites as well as these intrusive interviews so please give them a listen you can also find a link to the iTunes store so you can subscribe to the podcast. Again, it's a really easy way to stay up to date with new episodes. We do appreciate anybody leaving uh, some comments, some feedback there. Again, it just helps uh, with listenership, and you would be surprised at how many people listen to podcasts from around the world. So please help us out there and help us get the word out in general. Again, you can do that through our Facebook page. So please like it, follow it. You can share posts on there. So please go ahead and do that if there's any interesting opportunities. Likewise, you can also follow us on Tumblr, and then, of course, send us all sorts of cool stuff on Twitter. Tweet us your work and show us what's going on in the studio. Thanks once again to Skylar Mail for providing the music to Studio Break. You can check out his art at SkylarMail.com. Of course, if you want to get a better handle on where I'm coming from, you can visit my website, DavidLinaway.com, and see some of the recent paintings up there. And occasionally I am on my own Twitter account, so please check it out, at David Linaway. And we are now finished, so thanks once again for listening to the podcast. We really appreciate it. We'll talk to you real soon.